This episode is dedicated to the memory of Earl Simmons, better known as one of hip-hop's greatest artists, DMX. May your soul rest on, brother, while your music and memory carry on. And to Gordon Hall, whom I credit as an essential person with whom we could not have completed Red Dead Redemption way back in 2010 without. He's not only an amazing human being who truly knew how to enjoy life while putting everything you could into a project, but he had a vital skill in bringing people together and really forming a tight bond within a team. You both will be carried on in your art and by your children. Please join me in sharing a moment of silence for the two of them. On episode 6 of Out of Play Area, we go in on what it takes to build scalable open world game systems as we sit and chat with the electrifying Nicholas Zipman, a senior systems designer at Sony's Bend Studio in Oregon. Nick's a fellow Full Sail University alum whom I not only shared a classroom with, but a quad as we shipped Red Dead Redemption and the hit DLC Undead Nightmare while we worked together at Rockstar San Diego. We talk about how he got hooked onto games a little bit about working at Gorilla on Horizon Zero Dawn and how games like Days Gone benefit from the new console architecture, making both players' lives and devs' lives that much better. Please welcome from Chicago, keeping cool in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon, Nick Zitman. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast a show by video game devs for game devs where the guests open up one-on-one -on -one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. I have a work laptop and I have a home laptop and I'm using those. And then all day I'm standing up at my desk working. It looks like you stand up too. I got one of those remote control joints. It's Ikea, but it gets the job done. I had some extra money they gave us for working from home. So I spent that on a desk, but it wasn't like anything crazy, but it was like better than Ikea, but it goes up and down. Yeah. That's the move. And that's a good investment, to be fair. Invest in your home office because that's your moneymaker and make sure that you can last and have some longevity, right? Where you're not just cramped over caveman style, then you can't yeah. move. I've been standing up the whole time I've been working from home, actually. I haven't even sat once. Oh, you know what the next move is. Oh, it's like work out while you're doing it. Right, bro, got to get yourself a walking pad, a little treadmill under the desk. I want to get an omnidirectional, like, Ready Player One treadmill, yeah. Yo, they have those. Facebook yeah. has definitely targeted my ass with that shit. Yeah, the one that you can use for VR. Yeah. You got yeah. a VR setup? I used to have a home one. But then the Oculus Quest came out and I really liked the Quest and I wanted to play Moss on there too. So I liked the, the, the Quest for the experience of just really easy pick up and go. So I actually sold my Rift, like my original Rift 1. And, you know, I haven't gotten like a, a whole home set up. And I don't know that I will because it's so cumbersome unless if I end up building a house and I have a bunch of room, you know, that kind of thing where I can actually have like maybe like a play space like that. I'm sure there's other games you can play in that same space besides VR though too, right? Like you could play Twister. You could play, I'm saying you could have games with kids. You know, my girlfriend has a kid, so you could have kids games in that area too. I'm just trying to justify it. You know what I'm saying? Justify this whole space for VR because 
really now all we do is just use the quest here and there. But for me, it makes me kind of sick, man. And it doesn't have a high refresh or resolution, in my opinion, compared to computer PC driven ones. So it's a little hard for me, man. And with glasses. Yeah, how do you how do you rock with all the headsets on under I guess on top of your glasses? Do any of them fit you comfortably? Yeah, a lot of them do, but the Quest has a different piece you can put on it for glasses. But I never put it on there because it was mostly like my girlfriend's kid and us using it. She wears glasses too, but she's little, so I didn't want to make it even further away from the head, you know. But also, I wear contacts now. Ever since COVID, man, I started wearing contacts sometimes because of the mask. It fogs up your glasses so yeah, i actually sucks. got contacts for the first time because of covid <laughs> in your life hey you're looking good bro it's good to see you you're looking in good i don't health. have them on right now though man because honestly when you wear contacts at work if you wear contacts or glasses for me at least the glasses are so much nicer when you're looking at the computer screen absolutely yeah. especially if you got like the little blue light filter on them or the i got something on there yeah that helps yeah, got- man I always tell everybody that does what we do, protect the hands, right? With posture and stretching and then protect the eyes because they're the money makers. Drinking tea. What you drinking? Drinking tea? <laughs> oh, in that nice, sweet first party Sony Bend mug. Mm. Yo. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. No, this you could buy these on the store, bro. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want to get a, you want a link to the store? I, I can't give you a discount. You bro. know what I want? <laughs> I want a PlayStation 5 hookup, man. Get me a PlayStation 5 hookup. I think it would be safe for me to say and fair for me to say, even recorded on a podcast, that I could probably get you one once we have them in the employee store because we're allowed to get a certain number a year. So basically allowed to get them for friends and family. But, you know, however many a year they they give us a quota, it's like really low, like one or two. You know what I mean? Uh But we have no idea what that's going to be with PlayStation. They ain't just going to have a free-for-all in the employee store when gamers can't get them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like. But like yeah. when we worked at Rockstar, uh-huh. and I'm pretty sure you were there when we got the next gen consoles. I don't know, but I remember working at Rockstar, and when the PlayStation Four was coming out and the Xbox, the Xbone was coming out, the Xbox One, we had a sweet hookup through Take Two. Oh, you guys that, did? Yeah, that it was just like, hey, we can get you consoles direct, and we just would just take it out of your paycheck. You never even feel it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, hook it up. So That's really I was cool. able to cancel all my pre-orders. I think at the time I was strapped for cash, so I definitely like had to flip a couple pre-orders. But I'm surprised we don't have something like that for us on the inside, man. Well, it's been different at Sony. I don't know how it was for PS4 because I wasn't there. But it was really cool for PS5 because we all got hooked up. But that, that was something I'd never really seen where it was just like, a gift, which was pretty cool. So that was dope. As far as the other thing, it is what you're talking about, but they don't just take it out of our check. It's like, we have an employee store just like anybody else. And there's things for varying prices. Sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down. It's not always like the dopest hookup ever. But the coolest part I think about working at Sony, say PlayStation, is you're also part of Sony. So like you can actually go look at like their headphones and their speakers and their cameras. And that's kind of cool. You're not getting every selection of everything, but they have stuff on there, you know, and you could be like, oh man, there's a camera lens on here. I'm into cameras. Like maybe I, maybe I want this one and, you know, be cheaper. That's a worthwhile perk then. Yeah. Say what you want, but like they know how to do consumer electronics, like their television, their music devices. Yeah, TVs are great. Yeah, the TVs have some crazy color options because I got sometimes they'll have them for our Christmas parties, little raffles, and some kid got one, and then he sold me his old one, which he had gotten from somebody. It was just like if you work at Sony, there's just like Sony stuff floating around everywhere, right? Like yeah. TVs, 
Now they got that drone. Have you seen that drone they're coming out with? Sony's got a drone? No, oh, I haven't seen that. It's got some insane camera on it. I don't even know much about it, but I don't know much about drones at all, but it just looked crazy, and it was kind of cool to see Sony have a little entry in the in the drone business, you know? Do you know, what would you do with a drone? There's a few devices I have in my like wish list of, hey, if I got some extra disposable money that I get back from investing in GameStop, I'll buy probably a drone and probably like a 3d printer and i think all i would do nice dude so some people convinced me man i came in kind of at the midpoint right now i'm down so i'm just gonna hold i'm gonna hold see what happens yeah man gamestop that's that's all an interesting conundrum i think for drones what i would do this sounds so boring but i'd use it to do establishing shots for whatever documentary or movie that i'm eventually gonna make me and you we're on the same wavelength i want that aerial view I want it to come in smooth right on the gimbal. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And it would be kind of cool if you could get one of them tracking ones and do some third person like car shots and stuff. You know, get some like Michael Bay esque car chase going on with it. Not really, but you know what I'm saying? Do it all legal and fair, but get I'm something cool going on where it's following a car. I think if it could follow a car, I'd be psyched. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been sold on the whole tracking past with quick movement. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm with you. I want to be yeah. able to get in. I want to be able to walk out my crib, get in my car, pull out, and it's watching me the whole time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I fade into like a day in the life. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be kind of cool, man. It would be kind of cool as long as you're telling it to watch you. But if it's just watching you all quiet and you don't even know, like some somebody put it on you, track John Diaz. You know, that'd be some crazy stuff, right? Yeah, there. like some enemy of the state shit. I've definitely had some drones fly around the neighborhood and be like, <laughs> where what you the hell live, is that? Yeah. I I got, yeah, I got city. like a little roof deck kind of thing. I'd be, I'd be what? doing my, my it's a, it, Seattle is, I don't know if you've been here, it's been a while, bro, but like Seattle. I've been once, yeah. It's, it's like tearing all the regular homes down and building up. So like skinny and up. So one townhome, three floors, you got a roof deck, and that's how they kind of distribute the square footage. That's um, cool. So, you know, like so, some people dig it. I, I like the townhome setup. I like I get into that kind of townhome. Yeah. yeah. Living out here in Ben, I'm more like, give me a ranch because we got a little more room, you know? Hell yeah. And and my thing is like, oh, it's kind of dope when you don't have to go upstairs. They're just going all on the same flat. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a basement though, but it's all rocky here. So they don't build basements. So it, it definitely ain't that Midwest feel. And it's definitely not the city feel. It's more like the, yeah, like the farm, the, the sort of like uh, Colorado mountain farm feel, you know? Colorado, you can, man. Colorado is yeah, one of the few places I would move to on the, yeah. in the middle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I like, I like being by the water, but if I go inland, it'd be to Colorado. I like the vibe out there. I think we're better off out here by the water, though, to be honest. We can get to the ocean real easy. It's nice. How far are you from the ocean, like, driving? Oh, four hours. We just went, you know, I told you over the weekend we went. We just went to go look at the ocean, basically. That's all we did and, like, pick up some equipment. Seaside. Yeah, yeah, seaside. Pick up some equipment from a friend who had was holding my girlfriend's snowboards, and so yeah, it was just like pretty cool to just see the ocean, but it was real rainy, and you couldn't even get down there because the surf was all up, way up. So it was like, yeah, yeah, it was cool though, and I didn't expect to be swimming in the winter anyway. So <laughs> I was cold. Good. That Pacific Ocean's cold, man. No matter what time of year it is, and especially up north. Yo, bro, remind me again, what you sipping on? Oh, I got some green tea, some green chai tea, actually. Oh, I'm yeah. a fan of chai. I'm a fan of chai. 
And this is pretty good. It ain't like, you know how people are all fancy with tea nowadays. It's whatever the generic store-bought crap is. Somebody got me onto it, man. I want to credit probably Rob Pearsall, and I had a other, some other dudes that got me onto the whole loose-leaf tea game. Got yeah, me I, should get David's tea. I should get into that. I've gotten into the whiskey game, and I, I wish I had some whiskey right now. Where's it at? Trying some nicer stuff. Man, it's COVID, and honestly, if truth be told, that stuff's just gone. <laughs> you know, I had, I had like a whole bar stock around the end of summer, and then all through the, the up to winter, and now, man, it's been a lot of drinks had uh, in the <laughs> holidays. I know a few people that are doing like dry February, going twenty eight days dry or whatnot. I've never been that big of a drinker, so for yeah, me, I, w- I would agree. I would for agree. me, I could go dry like on accident for a month you know what i mean yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I, 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 I could well i don't live in the city you know i, I it ain't like back in the day with rockstar where you know people going out all the time and i'm doing that scene so i think in that scene and that sort of lifestyle it's harder because you're just like man if i'm at a bar i'll have a drink and i, yeah. I don't feel bad about that <laughs> Yo, can, can i tell you can i tell you my first day of rockstar i'm coming through and i don't know bro like early 20s sunny san diego and i hadn't met too many people like i went out to drink the day of the interview with a few buddies and like some of the leads or whatnot but when i went to work for the first time i'm getting shown around by david Conkler, right the producer's kind of doing a meet and greet with every single person on the floor i think that's one of the best moves you can do whenever you bring in on new blood just face to face introduce them to everybody yo this is John Diaz. Yeah. He's joining. He's a designer. He's going to be doing missions. He's going to be reporting to Silas. And you meet everybody. You meet the art team. You meet the animation team. You meet the audio team. You meet the engineering squad. And so while I'm doing all that, he's walking me to my desk. And your back is turned. And I, I remember this vividly for whatever the fucking reason. And you, you spin around and you see me. And I see your eyes open up. Like, I guess we didn't know that you worked there and I was coming to work there. And you jump out of your seat. And I swear to God, you like parkour over the little divider and we hug it out, bro. And this was, I felt so welcome and like a part of the team immediately. I was like, yo, we're going to do some shit here. We're going to, we're going to make some magic, man. Even though we have what, like, I don't know, a year of production. I don't remember how much was left too. uh, You were there pretty far before we actually shipped, right? I mean, like at least a year. It was a year at most. Oh, really? Yeah, I think probably at the time we were getting told something like, oh, yeah, in six months, right? But then we kept extending it. Yeah, I remember we did extend it six months, yeah. I'm pretty sure I got there like March or May, and then we ultimately shipped May right. of 2010. Well, you got into a lot of stuff then, because I remember you having a lot of scripts and stuff that you had worked on by then. Because I remember there was one like the, what is it, Lucky and Love, Unlucky and Card. Yeah, a few, few of where, the gun, gun old two, gun old three yeah, missions. Yeah, gun old two, gun old three, the gun old five. Missions. Yeah, what's his was, name? No, in Landon Ricketts. The dude, Landon I just want to say, man, for people doing games today, like they're still be doing this today, but like back then, that was only ten years. That was like ten years ago, but that was pretty difficult to get all them dudes from the poker table to sync up with their real world counterparts from like the cinematic on and it was like a remember it was the poker system too so it was like syncing that with the cinematic with the thing and then also doing the gunslinger fight and then syncing the end of the gunslinger fight with when it breaks out and you got to do the regular gun battle so it was like all this transitions basically it was a ton of transitions it's a ton of transitions and it's like four different systems talking to the missions to the script layer right so like you have the open world running you have your 
your dual mini game, you have your yeah, card mini game, you have the mission layer, and, and the cinematic layer, bro. And so, mind you, it was in a great state. And then at some random point in time, as if yeah. we didn't have enough, we were trying to polish. Gordon comes over and he's like, "Yo, we're gonna go in this new direction." And the the key word is seamless. We're gonna take out all the seamlessness, yeah, all that. the fades out of the game, and that was insane, bro. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. insane because it totally changed how you would even do that. Yeah, yeah, because yo, we did so much behind the scenes trickery, black magic by fading yeah. out, right? Like when you fade out, even if it's for a frame or two, that would hide a bunch of those pops yeah. and spawning and teleporting and loading and unloading and everything like that. Yeah, now more people do stuff like that in certain games, but still I see games not doing it. So it's really hard to do. And good thing we have solid state drives now, man. <laughs> I'm excited about that. And even even the new consoles. Yeah. The new consoles got some crazy architecture where they're like, they got that thing figured out. It's like mainline. <laughs> like there is no yeah. RAM, bro. You're just kind of pumping it straight through. But back to that day, yeah. I remember you having the ponytail at Full sale, and like you wore that hat all the time. And you were totally like, where are you from? Are you from Harlem, Queens? I forget where you're from. Spanish Harlem, man. Spanish Harlem, yeah. So York, you man. were like real Harlem. And I was from Chicago. So, you know, even though whatever, I'm from the suburbs. Like I, I, I sort of felt still that city, down at Full Sail. There was a lot of people like that at Full Sail, to be honest. There was a lot of people that were like city folk that came down to, yeah. to Full Sail from different a lot, cities. A lot, of, a lot in the recording arts, for sure. Sure, sure. And so I remember meeting you and having a couple classes with you and then whatever happened and we were in different we were like in a different month or whatever yeah i think i fell behind in like machine architecture yeah. or something like that oh that was a hard class and then what was it like chris Farasa? did you know him is that how you got the, the so I, interview so I ran into everybody at some point through full sale curriculum right we were all class of 06 mm-hmm. but i graduated after all the home most of the homies i think you're I, midway right yeah so at midway is when i met everybody and rob coble got me in at midway and then when I got to Rockstar, when I had the interview with Rockstar, I had that on the strength of a recruiter putting me in touch. And then Christian went over to Danny and like, yo, Danny, you know this guy? Yeah. And then Danny's like, yo, that's my old roommate. And then so I think he uh, helped kind of nudge me through after the interview. I didn't even, never knew you guys were roommates or anything like that. That's so crazy. Until you showed up and then all of a sudden you knew all them dudes. And I was like, oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> and, and so also... If DJ hadn't left Midway, I don't think there was there would have been a spot for me because I think I came in at Midway to backfill DJ's vacant spot when he left to Rockstar. Right, and then DJ got into Rockstar on his own. There's a lot of dominoes that fell in order to get me in this in the damn industry and at Rockstar at the same time. So I count the blessings. Yeah, no, that was awesome. How we all and it was really exciting when new people would show up all the time if I knew they were coming or not. That was a really like our heyday where we had a dozen people. And then it turned out people from the Midnight Club team that came over to work on, on Red Dead were like also like Barasa were also from Full Sail. And I knew Barasa and I never knew Bula, but then I got to know him and, and Jay Nobler. And, and that's just crazy how we all were in the same. Parody. You, you Parody yeah. and DJ were tight. Oh, yeah. yeah, I knew those guys. I knew Parody since like the first day of class. DJ Josh. Since the first day of class. Oh, Josh, Josh Hamrick, I knew since the first day of class, but he never worked at Rockstar. He worked at Midway true. with you guys. Yeah. yeah, Man. He interviewed at Rockstar once, though. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought he got the yeah. job, but he didn't take it. Or oh, whatnot. yeah. He was wanting to go to Bungie, you know, and then he went there. So. 
and he's he's now at probably Monsters. They're doing something crazy out here in Seattle. Yeah, I heard about that. I actually know a guy who recently started working there, like an animator friend of mine. It's interesting. They're so he model. must be working with him. Yeah, we all know each other somehow through like two degrees of separation, basically. It's, there's only like one or two degrees of separation, yeah, which is kind of cool. As long as, you know, people don't think you're a dick. <laughs> Let me, that's my motto, bro. Uh, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> and whenever I say my bad, the bad is an acronym for being a dick, you know? <laughs> no, that's nice. I never uh, thought about it that way, but that's funny. I know a, a lot. But I know there's so much I don't know, bro. And so now, thank you for coming on to my little up-and-coming grassroots podcast. I'm glad you're here. I want to take advantage and fill the gaps of what I don't know, right? Like, how'd you get into games? Because I know your mind. I know your systemic, analytical, <laughs> machine-optimizing mind. And it, it, it just seems like a natural fit. But I'm curious how, when you knew that your gaming was a thing or programming is my thing, or full sale is a thing, right? Like, I'm curious just to step through that. Sure. The abridged version would be early on, my dad worked a lot with these old computers called combiscopes. And they're basically like the old version of what how you would do things like Photoshop. So it was this big old computer that took up like the size of this room that I'm in right now with my living room and everything. It had the little target mouse where you could basically like crosshair over the picture that you would have taped to the board where you're where, like, so imagine your mouse pad is the actual picture that you're editing. Then you uh -huh. would see that on this old school archaic screen and you could edit pixel by pixel and you can sort of like mask things out or do the type of stuff you would do in Photoshop to touch up a photo. And so my dad did that kind of stuff. Like a, a super powered camera, basically. It, it is kind of like that. Yes, because the mouse thing, it, right. The mouse thing like would, would actually take whatever the visual of what was on the picture and put it up there. Or they would actually have it somehow on data once they had it up there. They would scan the whole thing and then they would just match up. So it would be like you'd match up the corner of where your mouse play space is with the corner of where the picture would be. Does that Do make sense? Do me a favor, spell it out for me. I just yeah. want a Google image of this thing. C-O-M-B-I, combi. Computer or scope, combi scope. Scope, combi scope. That might be one component of it or the whole thing. But my dad learned how to fix computers in the Marines. And so, and then radars and things. And so he learned how to fix these big computers and then he eventually learned how to operate them. And he was doing like photo editing. So anyway, that makes the story longer, but the idea is that those are the precursor to like the Mac. And so when the Mac first came out and you could do photo editing on it and it had CD-ROMs, that was like replacing all this crazy archaic stuff my dad did. And I was learning on all that. So you see, now you can yeah, see, you yeah, looked it, it up. It looks like, yeah, it yeah. Looks like it, Breaking it, Bad lab size kind of thing, man. Like, holy shit. Right. It, right. Exactly. That's what it was like. They had these big rooms that where they would suck all the dust out of everywhere. I'm sure you got to keep it cool. Right. Too. Keep it cold. They had those false floors and false ceilings with all wires going under the floors and wires. And so it was cool. I basically that sparked a lot of that stuff with me is just like messing around with these big machines. And then also then learning from my dad. Oh, look, this CD ROM, this little CD holds what this big old disc cassette discs turning thing that was like the size of, uh, you know, like a hundred records stacked together. Like that thing held half of what a CD would hold, yeah. you know? And so then he was like, show me that. And then I got really into that. And I was like making different sounds for startup on the Mac and doing different stuff like that. Like figuring out basically how to like do Apple talk basically like early on, like where you could get the computer through scripting to do different things and modify, you know, so just messing around and then basic, and basic. stuff like that. But I really, 
Yeah, but I really never knew all this. You say systemic technical stuff. I really never knew all that. It was more hardware. My dad would teach me like how to, you know, oh, I'm soldering this thing back together or whatever. The software stuff for me was always like games, right? It was always like, I want to play games. I want to design games. What was a game that you kind of keep at your heart of like, yo, this is one of my favorite games coming up or one of the most amazing games to to you coming up? One that I, and then there's a, there's like three or sure. four, but one that I always remember that will be like one that will be fun for people, I think, because it's different, is Wizards and Warriors. It was this game, it was from the Ubisoft, actually, when they originally, or not Ubisoft, but uh, Rare. Rare originally Rare. made uh, Wizards and Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Rare made Wizards and Warriors. And it was this kind of freaky game where you were a knight, but you could get these little magical powers. And it was just really fun. It was very similar to Zelda in the way that it had item-based progression type stuff going on. Okay, so that's on the NES in 87. Yeah, yeah. And I'm born in 80. So, But I played the original Red Legend of Zelda. I played the original Metal Gear. Uh, and those were... Acclaim published it. Yeah, published it, yeah. <clears throat> they, used to, they had three Wizards and Warriors games. The first one was really dope, though. And it was just really weird and sort of... You know that classic NES feel of not the major games like Mario and stuff and Zelda? Well, even Zelda feels this way. But it's sort of like the way that the games were made and the way that they flickered and the way that the screens would change. It, it has this like under, underground feel to it. You know what I mean? It has this sort of like underground feel to it when I play them today or when I think about them today. Like it, like it was a small team, like probably two or three guys. Zelda's the best example. The first Zelda, when you go between the dungeons and the screen goes black, you know, and it just gives it, it has this feel. It's like a dungeon feel. It's like a garage feel. You know, it's, it makes me feel like that. Whereas Mario, I don't know, Mario's a little colorful, more, vibrant. You know, yeah, it's there was something about this, a lot of those early games for me that were, you know, really fun. But you know, so long story short, with the whole, how did I get into this? I think it was wanting to do technical stuff always, build bridges, you know, uh, do these different things, be an architect. I always wanted to do something technical, and then. I just started to see more and more that I really enjoyed watching people be entertained by games and stuff like that. You you would have like friends, family, siblings come through, play NES or SNES. Yeah, and I'd like watch them play, or they watch me play, or we do that. It's like a, it was like a single player game. A lot of times in my life, I've had these single player game experiences with like a group, and we're like sort of all together trying to conquer this thing. And that's also with like playing board games together. And we used to make little board games. Me and my cousin designed a Captain Nintendo video okay. game when we were like Captain 10. Nintendo's that do and with we like, zappers or whatnot? Yeah, he gets sucked into the Nintendo. Yeah. It was like a Nintendo licensed TV Oops. show. And so we thought we could sell this idea. Back then we were like thinking we can sell this idea to Nintendo. So we drew up a bunch of screens on his Commodore 64. He had like an art program on his Commodore and a printer. So we drew up the screens, printed them, and we had like a level where you fly on the Game Boy, you know, and the Game Boy could fly or whatever. He was like a hovercraft. And then we had a level where you're just Captain Nintendo and you're fighting with a zapper. And so we came up with these ideas and we sent them to Nintendo. And they sent us a letter back like months later saying, you know, thanks for your ideas. Like we're busy for the next four years <laughs> working on our own project. But thanks a lot for sending it. And they gave us like a vote of whatever because they knew we were kids. Was it like design docs or was it like, pictures yeah it was designed oh, how old were you? it was it was <laughs> we were 10 <laughs> and, and you got and they wrote back yeah, to you yeah. where's that letter i wish i had the letter man but my parents are the ones that encouraged us to use the typewriter to type the letter because <laughs> we didn't yeah, yeah well at that moment we didn't uh have the commodore it was like a, a project we worked on you know you'd spend the night with your cousins for yep. the weekend it was like something we worked on for like a few weekends Damn. or something you know and it, it wasn't anything big. We had the game team collaboration 
thing down from 10 years old already, man. You were natural for this, for what you do. Well, my cousin's always been a really gifted artist. So he was really a proponent behind that. And then, yeah, me with like sort of the structure of it. Like, oh, we have to have levels. Each level has to have a theme. And, you know, so I would always keep us. And it's funny because later in life, me and him got to work together when I was doing freelance, doing some web design and logo design. And we sort of worked together in that same way where like I would talk to the client and I would have a good idea of what they want, kind of like the client's the player. And then I would sort of like convey that to him and he would make a bunch of mock-ups and then we would like hone it down from there and go go through that iteration process. Similar to like you do with an artist. Yeah, you know, design, that's the same you know, design artist pipeline. So I've always wanted these guys to work on games with me, him, my brother, they're, they're artists. So that would be really cool. I'm surprised you haven't started your own thing. I like to work on a team though, yeah, you know? I'm with you. You could start your own team. And I did some stuff like that with freelance. I did a VR game in 2015 for a trade show. This company hired us to do it just for their trade shows. And so it wasn't like released on any platform, but we did it for the Rift DB, like the dev kit two. Okay. And then we eventually did it for the CV one. So like we port, we made it so it would work on the CV1 because anything that worked on the dev kit, it pretty easily worked on the CV1 after you, after it was released and you just updated Unity. You built it on Unity? Yeah, yeah. So we built this little spaceship game that was like Star Fox on a spline. And then you look and you sort of tell yourself where to go uh, to deviate from that spline. And then you would uh, pick up gems and it was called uh, Awards Aviator. It was just, you know, it was a very like manufactured cookie cutter, like what you wouldn't want to do as a game designer. But I was doing it for this company that was a marketing company. They wanted to have something to show to basically attract people to their booth. Their thing had nothing to do with VR. So it was just like, just this fun thing I did, but we got paid and me and a couple friends, uh, one of them, I don't know. No, you never met. Maybe at my 30th birthday party, you did John Rogers. He yeah, went to full yeah, sale yeah, with yeah. us. Um, so he worked on it with me. He did some of the coding and the interface coding. And then um, I did design. And then this other guy did a lot of level design. <laughs> that uh, I that I worked with when I was in Europe but I did do my own thing in that way but yeah like my own game and like release my own sort of thing that, that would be really dope you kind of manage your own yeah. team in that regard you had a budget you recruited some people you're like yo here's a target let's get it out we got a deadline boom ship it get paid that was a milestone for me to do that even in a small way like that so that was really cool it was like somebody paid me money to make a game that i came up with that was pretty dope so i've never had to go out and get money or make a pitch i'm curious how you approach right. hey i got an idea or the day hit you up like yo we're looking for this type of thing you know anybody and then like how do you quote that you know i'm just curious like how does it so, come to you how do you seize it? And then how do you price it out? The way I came about this was like my hustle, basically. And I'm not like always on the hustle, but during this time I was because I was freelancing. So I was really on the hustle. And I was like, I learned the web development on like Udacity or something. I learned some stuff about web development so I could do some web pages and get some money yeah. for that. And then I actually interviewed after doing like one or two websites and I had under my belt, I interviewed with a company to be like an on-staff web developer. <laughs> like this was like after Rockstar, yeah, after you got like the biggest games under your belt. <laughs> Is that just because you just like tired well, of working for people? You're like, Yo, I'm gonna go out do do my own thing, be freelance. Or it was more. I worked at Volition. I had the chance to finish working there on Horizon with them, but Gorilla. I instead just let. My yeah, Gorilla. I instead just let my contract end because I really wanted to be back home. I just had some reasons why I wanted to be back in the Midwest. And so then that's why I worked freelance is because I was sort of like stuck in the Midwest, but I wasn't, I wanted to be there, but I just was like, all right, I'm going to try to make this work. There's a few companies in the Midwest. I worked at Volition that wasn't 
for me. So it was close to your hometown, right? Where's home? Home compared to the where Volition is in Chicago, and then my brother and my dad and stuff live in St. Louis, and then Volition's in Champaign, Illinois, which is like in between the two. So Champaign was actually like the sweet spot for me to work. I was there and I bought a home there, but things just didn't work out there. So that's when I went to Gorilla for a bit, and then I was like, oh, I could stay in Europe, but I'm not going to. I'm just tragically American, and I just wanted to be in America. That's really what it was. Man, I think I think you're in the best place you can be, man. I love Europe. I thought you would love Europe, man. The, the few times I visited out there, I was like, yo, Nick is in heaven. Nick is in Amsterdam. Nick is where he needs to be. Not just visiting, but living there because you get the bike. And then once you get a bike and you're riding your bike around the city all the time, you may have this in Seattle, but we don't really have this in Bend. Things are a little farther apart, you know. But, like, my whole world in Amsterdam was in, like, a 10-block radius. So once you get the bike, then you just feel like master and commander of that city and this is a city that millions of people visit every day or every week or whatever never slow period for Amsterdam. yeah you would, in three months i became a master of the city i was giving people directions and they didn't even know english and i was still able to just point them and it was like and then most people do know english can i tell you but, every time i've been to amsterdam i'm usually you know i'm usually partaking in the local vibe and bars and shops I get lost so stupidly every single time, bro. I'm I'm turned around those mm-hmm. fucking canals. I, I'm gonna tell you all right now, dude. Up? I got you. Okay, so there's Amsterdam Station yep. where you come in the train station. So that's at the northernmost part of Amsterdam, yep. right? So act like you're walking out of Amsterdam uh-huh. Station. So you're basically facing south, right? So to your left is the medieval yes. district, and that's like the small belt of canals and stuff. That just goes north to south. So if you go just left of the train station as you come out, you'll hit the top of the medieval and you can follow that all the way down to Dam Central, which will take you right to the middle of Amsterdam. Now, on the other side is the canal belt that curves yes. around from the train station all the way around Dam Central to the bottom where like Gorilla used to be, where Rembrandt yep, Square yep. is at the very bottom. That's a great landmark. So like that. So if you're walking and the canals are curving to the left, then you know you're going to the bottom of Amsterdam. If you're walking and the canals are going to the right, then you know you're going back to the state. Because they only curve one way, right? So if they're to your left, you're going to the south, southernmost point of the of city central. If they're curving to the right, you're going to the northernmost point, which is where the station is. So if you're all going out to the bars, curve to the left. Calling back home. Man, I love it. I love you. Yeah, I can remember that next time, man. I think that's gold. How is Gorilla? I think you went at an interesting time, right? Because I guess you were on what was going to be Horizon at some point. Oh, yeah. Well, we were working on Horizon. And when I was there, it was when they were sort of, you know, really coming into their own of what it was going to be in a lot of ways. The story, the open world. They went from kill zone, like linear first person shooter style to this massive open world scope. And I guess you came on board be like, yo, I know how we got down on Red Dead. I, I could bring something to help you kind of this. What it was, was actually trying to help. Well, it was just a lot of tech design stuff and just putting out fires and helping. And that was what I would have done, you know, or if I would have just stayed there instead of coming back. But a big part of what I was able to impart, yeah, from that experience, uh, something that hopefully I left as a gift was just this idea of sort of make the world feel full. Turns out, though, you know, with populating ambient events and things, turns out, though, if you play Horizon, you'll realize that the robots actually make the world feel really full and the ecology and stuff. So they don't really have have a need for a lot of ambient events. And I'd like to see more in their next game, and that'd be awesome. But you notice if you play Horizon, they don't really need them because, you know, there's, it's not like Red Dead where you're on the desert and you need someone to flag you down, you know. And so 
that was a lot of what we were trying to figure out and what I was helping them figure out is like, what's the balance to throw there? And there was definitely a lot of experimentation that went on. You know, we see in the final product, I think is what's best because the robots, like I said, seem to fill the environment really well. So a lot of what you're doing is just hunting as Aloy and just making it around the world as Aloy without dying yeah. in the initial part. It, it right? feels very survival, yeah. right? Like uh, you're hunting and gathering. It was, they, were, they weren't forgiving. You could walk into a situation that was way above your level, yep. right? And that's kind of cool. It was balanced in that way, you know. It was the saber tooths and then the thunder jaws, and yo, I remember the first time I took down that damn T Rex, man. I felt like I had beat the final boss on some other game, man, and I was so hyped. And it, it was like yeah. I don't know, six, seven hours in, and I had barely scratched the map. But the sense of accomplishment, man, I was like, "This is awesome!" Yeah. And then to find out, like, oh, I, sometimes I gotta fight two or three. I'm like, holy shit. It really gives you like an organic feel for it all. And I think they did a good mix of that and the stuff that we've seen in the open world games we've worked on where you come into a town and they have a first time event or you come into a region, they have a first time event or an ending event for that region that unlocks the next one. It's like they, they did a good job of just having population. Yeah. You know, like in Red Dead, you couldn't just have population, right? Because And maybe in the second one, they have yeah. more population. But like in the first one, when we were working on it, it was like population wasn't enough. We needed to like have manipulated, scripted stuff that would be balanced and make the experience fun, but not too fun. And I think you can do that with the scripting and the sort of monitoring of where you put events and where they come, or you could do it with the map and with how you unlock it and how you open it up or item-based stuff like in Breath of the Wild or even in Horizon, there's certain things, like you said, like you, didn't, you couldn't really kill this guy, so you couldn't really go there yet. I really like that. You don't feel that as much in these like human-based like Red Dead because everybody can be shot in the head. I call them the realistic open world. Yeah, realistic, right? It's like everybody can be shot in the head. So therefore, you have to create these other ways to make the nuance and the fun there. But in a sort of more classic type of game, I guess I would call it, where there's monsters, mm -hmm. you can have these areas that are out-leveled, and then you can mix that with some of this fun story stuff that they're doing in games like Red Dead or something. And I think Horizon has a great mix of that, like old-school RPG. Like, you you have to learn, like you said, and you feel accomplished. And it doesn't feel as hand-holdy as some of these it, things. Yeah, you're right. It definitely does. There's a heck of a balance there. If from software games are kind of on one end of like, good luck, mm. you know, figure it out. I got a buddy, Mike, and he, he compares it to an adult Zelda. Because Zelda was kind of similar, right? Like, here you go. Here's this massive open world. And you have a sword and maybe a shield. Figure it out. Like, figure out how to get to one yeah. dungeon or whatever. Yeah, and Breath of the Wild did that too good, too. I mean, you know, they kind of brought back that spirit, I think, with Breath of the Wild in some regards. Bro, you know? I don't know anybody that has anything bad to say about that game, right? It came out at this wonderful time on this console that, like, everybody was just like, yo, what do I do with this console? And really turned mm. the open world formula on its head with the, I don't know, they called it, like, chemistry engine or whatever, right? Like, just their basic elements all playing with each other systemically, right? Well, here's what I think, though, is I think with Horizon and with that game, it's almost like when open world people make and or when people make an open world game and they haven't done it before, but they're using the fundamentals and mechanics and even something like Zelda, where they're going back to the original open world game and pulling from that like Zelda one. Right. Yeah. It's like they're making something better almost because they don't know what not to do. They don't know the rules. Right. Yeah. They don't know the rules that we made up in these like Volition, you know, uh, Rockstar games. It's not a level, it's a mission, right? And then you have this world and you have like exactly. full of events. Yeah, right. even Ubisoft. Kind of yeah, yeah, and that's fine. I think because you're doing this realistic world and you can do all these things, fly a helicopter, drive a car, it, it makes it so it's this sandbox of obviously, that's what they call it that, but it's just like this sandbox of things that you can do 
But I really like the approach that other people are taking. You know, they can't all be Grand Theft Auto or Grand Theft Horse. So that's really cool to see Horizon and then Breath of the Wild right there. And then now there's this, even like something like Cyberpunk, where I think that's like old school RPG, you know, really harsh failure. You can die really easily, die really quickly. But like Zelda, like Horizon, you have a lot of save points. So it's almost like not, like you said, from software is that really harsh punishing. And then this is more like the mass market, but it's not the mass market there's just different levels of it right you have your red dead and uncharted and all that where it's just like really wanting to show you the cinematic feat that they're trying to show you in this animation feat and this graphical feat and also this really cool story and really fun gameplay and then you have another level down where you're doing these complex rpgs with you know different skills skill trees and different weapon crafting and all sorts of crafting And then you go all the way down to something where I don't play, like something like Demon Souls, because I'm just like so horrible at it. (laughs) Yo, so (laughs) no, I got to play those. I got to try them again because I know if I really paid attention, you could figure it out. Feel some of them. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you were touching on being a tech designer over at Gorilla and talking about how yo, it's all about support, putting on fires. As I talk to other designers and tech designers about the craft, you know, that's what we we try to identify. Depending on where you go, every studio kind of identifies them differently. And we have tech designers that are like designers plus plus or scripters. And then you have tech designers that live in tool building or workflow or sit closely with engineers or whatever. I'm curious, in your experience at at Gorilla or Volition or Rockstar, it seems like all those places have a different version of a tech designer. I wonder what your preferred version of that is right what did you enjoy the most sure i currently don't work as a tech designer i'm a senior staff system designer but the main reason for that was when i came on days gone when i first came to the project i found out i was going to be doing unreal 4 and i hadn't i'd done a lot of unity and a lot of proprietary but i hadn't done unreal ever so i didn't see myself other first time in unreal well you know in school and stuff and making levels doing mods oh yeah and that was two and three so i hadn't used it so i've learned a lot since i've been here i didn't know that i'm curious to pick your brain like how you like yeah. it because i feel like i would say people love unreal 4 especially if they come from the older ones i'm very interested on in your perspective right not to divert oh you know what, you know what? Yeah, i'll tell you right now my perspective is the engine don't matter baby because i just drive dude sound bite no sound bite unreal is really cool but i actually had to start switching my left click to my right click and my right click to my left click because my finger was starting to hurt from all that click and drag <laughs> from the node base the node-based blueprint scripting. I was more used to being on keyboard all the time up until that point, scripting. you know, C-sharp and Unity. Even yeah. at Rockstar. And so, Rockstar, we were all text-based scripting. Even at Rockstar, even at Volition, even at Gorilla, everywhere. So uh, Gorilla, like you know, Lua, Gorilla right? has They're uh, all about Lua. different stuff. But, well, Volition, Gorilla, all these companies may or may not have things that are visual now or before when I was there, but I'm just saying my experience, and I can't really talk about any proprietary stuff, but my experience was, always on text base up until unreal yeah where are you at on the visual scripting world i think it's cool and i think it's cool how any kind of scripting language can be restricted so people can't break things and stuff like that as easily i think sometimes it can be overly restricted but there's always ways around it and sometimes like i said just with the clicking that's my main complaint man is just the clicking dude <laughs> but no it's, it can look really cool and, and really pretty but i also i feel like i can make text code look a lot more like beautiful and artistic as a thing you know i always said the ideal workflow is that you can just copy if you copy your whole graph and you paste it into a notepad file 
that it's like XML or something text space that you can like tweak yeah. precisely, right? Control F, Control V, whatever, yeah, in. and then paste it back in. Yeah. So, so you have kind of the best of both worlds. And okay, that works really good. But just a little pro tip on that: if you have like references mm. and stuff, and then you pull them out and you're putting them back yeah. in, right? And then sometimes, depending on how that all works with yep. your system, and I think just the core Unreal system, it like it has issues with that. And so some of that stuff too is really nice about Unreal, where it links stuff, references stuff, and then you can always go down that rabbit hole and find something as opposed to other engines or if you're using Lua and it's just like you have a string that's <laughs> quoted or something, you know, like that's difficult. But at the same time, that Lua loads up yep. real quick and that references with all the, and the script with all the references don't. So man, it's just, it, it's always like you're There's a trade off and that's the same thing when you're building a game, right? It's like you put things in memory so that way you can access them quick. Now you have less memory. You process things on the fly, so that way you don't use as much memory. Now you've got less processing power. So right. you're just always trading off. But for the tech designer question, to go back to that, even though I'm not one here, I have been one, and I also do a lot of stuff here I think that you would consider to be like a tech designer. So I think tech designers should do mainly help designers. That would be the simplest and dumbest way to say it. And whatever, however that manifests itself, I think generally it manifests itself through being a really great scripter who creates examples, templates, and then maybe even script nodes through coding or scripting them. And, and then also creates like tutorials and examples for how to use these things. You know, those are like a big thing, like what you were doing at Amazon, you know, that kind of you ever stuff. Seen those? those are like a big thing. What? Yeah, I watched a few of them, dude. But it's just like I, I'm not using Lumberyard. You know, when you're, I'm all in Unreal, dude. So it's like, but I want to, I, I want to be one of these guys who will go and mess around with this engine, mess around that one, make a, make a pong game in every engine. But you know, I just haven't done that. But I think by the time I'm 80, bro, I'm gonna have a lot of fun with making my own little projects. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Because that's the one thing I always thought was we work really hard, we put all our energy into these big games. But man, I'm a, I'm gonna be able to make games till I die. So. Like, and I'm not going to always work for somebody until then, until I die. So I'm going to have all this time and then all my free time to like sort of mess around. So maybe I'll get back to them. Lonely <laughs> but, you know, I hope to God they're not still around, man. Those things ain't going to age well. Uh, but like, I think, I think I saw some video or podcast with Brenda Romero and she was talking about how like, yeah, when she retires, quote unquote, she's still going to keep making games, right? It's just, she's going to do it for herself, yeah. you know, not for money. I rock with you one billion percent, man. Like even when I'm not doing this yeah, for right. a job, I'm still do this for for the kids of the next generation just to dabble, right? What, hey, whatever new hardware thing is, whatever AR VR thing is going, I want to be like, oh, I wonder what it's like to try to build something for that thing. Yeah, even if it's like pick up a cube and throw it, whatever, <laughs> you know. Like, but hey, so so that means someday, I mean, we know we're gonna have the time to make a game together, so we will, even though last- you know, right now we we can. EA and EA and Sony ain't gonna make a game together. Well, maybe, maybe, man, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll all be on one singular cloud platform that is con- that's a hybrid of like Apple and Steam and Amazon and Google and Microsoft and Sony. Bro, you're talking about the Oasis now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that like Ready Player One type shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that's kind of what that would be, right? If it was just a marketplace where we all worked in it and all built stuff in it, we could just collaborate. But you still win it. You'd have like the Sony world, yep. the Microsoft have your world. little hubs. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that's kind of where it's going. But so maybe by the time we're 80, we'll be floating in like a vat of like, you know, some kind of amniotic fluid. And we're just like, me and you were like designing the game. Like we got whatever avatars we want, dude. We're just looking all dope. What, what was up in that movie, by the way? They all had like, like textured skin they all wanted to have like 
something cool going on with this. Wait, we're kid. not talking about Matrix. You know what I mean? It we're was not like talking about Matrix. In Ready Player oh. One, they they all had like modified. Yeah. It was kind of like Matrix. I think it was to give it like basically so they didn't look so it didn't look too uncanny valley. Yeah. That was my yeah. idea because they looked really real the avatars, and so they kind of added like these almost as if you were adding mods of color or texture to your avatar like in an unrealistic way, right? Like it's not human, right? This is like some. I don't know if you saw that, but Man, I, don't, I, uh, I, I, I saw it once, dude. So I'm, I'm having. I gotta. I would have to Google it to see what you're talking about. I got some issues with the with the movie and the book anyway. So <laughs> the movies never live up to the book, man. They never live. I know. I just think the movie was actually pretty good, and it made it more of like an actiony thing. But the book, now that I reflect back, I liked it because I'm a nerd, mm-hmm. of course. But now that I reflect back, I'm like, man, two of the challenges in the book were playing arcade games. It's like, why couldn't why couldn't there be something different for one of them? And then in the movie, they did that. So it's like you could see how. When he went to write the script, he was like, "Yeah, this ain't gonna fly. <laughs> you can't play Joust and you can't play Joust and Pac Man in yeah, the same. That's not, that's not a you challenge. know the challenge. So Man. okay, I- but you know, there's there's all the questions of like any mentors or key resources that really kind of helped you in what you're doing. Um, you know, any words of wisdom for the next generation? Uh, mm-hmm. or just favorite experience working in games or winning game of the year celebrating you know there's a whole bunch of shit yeah that was awesome bro you remember that remember when you saw the dudes from how to make it in america in our hotel and you like went up you I saw them that, that shit? bro i forgot yeah, yeah. what was his name i like that actor too he was in uh lord of dogtown yeah he's he was great. like raising raising yeah. victor vargas i forget his name i used to yeah i used to know yeah. i mean it's you can't help but when you live near la to like develop these aspirations because i think like right like i have i have a bottle of of avion tequila right and that that comes straight out of entourage oh God, that's awesome yeah right, right, right. my brother loves entourage to the point where he named his snake and his dog chase Johnny yeah, yeah, yeah. Trauma. yeah snake his old, his old snake was called chase and now he has a dog called chase yeah no just yeah benny and johnny and chase man he just he just uh loved that show that was back in that era when it was like you were buying HBO shows on DVD and yep. watching them, you yep. know. <laughs> now that that's all it's crazy just, you how know, fast digital. this happened, man. And now the game streaming thing yeah. is coming, you know. Well, you just subscribe. I haven't bought any games from my PS5 on disc. Yeah, I'm doing pretty interesting on that. You got, you yeah, got the disc version or the digital version? I do, I do, and I, it was kind of cool to put in Days Gone because you know, shout out to Days Gone. Uh, anybody who plays it or hasn't, like, you should check it out on PS5 if you have one because. It's just way faster and, and the loading way faster and the frame rate is way faster. And it kind of makes the game a different experience. You know, you know, a lot of these open world games are 30 frames, even, you know, Red Dead and stuff the like that. The hard loads, right? Um, if it's built on you know, Unreal, there's some hard loads, I'm sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, we did a lot on Days Gone to modify what, we, you know, without getting into anything. Basically, uh, the people at Sony, especially the engineering uh, staff and, and th- those kind of people, and even some of us guys who are doing some of the scripting in clever ways, it was pretty hard to make an open world game yeah, uh, with that. So, you know, without going into detail. And so they did a really great job at that. And it's like kind of a little known secret. Nobody really even talks no. about that. Like, there hasn't really been any open world games made with Unreal. I don't even think you see the logo. Do you see the logo when you load up the game? I forget. I forget. But like, I should know. But I think because, you know, it changed throughout the development, too. But um, so I can't remember. But basically, you know, it has a lot of good stuff, but it also made it really hard. And and, and say with like a proprietary engine, like, you you know, we had at Rockstar or other places um, where the streaming and the open world 
uh, you know, it's really optimized and made for that. It's like we had to do a lot to make that work. And because of that, you know, it sort of made it a bit harder. But I think it's cool because the PS5 makes up a little bit of that gap with like the solid oh, state yeah. drive and stuff. It's a game. You know? And if you were to say, I think if you run like Rockstar games on there too, they run at oh, 60. Yeah. So it's like, it's not just uh, our games that get up. I mean, not just uh, the based on. It's like <laughs> other games that were at like 30 can go up to 60 if they do the if they do the patch or whatever. Oh, you mean, like, you mean there isn't like a, is Sony game check flag, then run at like 200% <laughs> awesomeness? <laughs> yeah, that'd be sick. No, I'm really glad I'm playing Cyberpunk on it because I've heard some bad things about it, but I've been having an okay experience. Uh, in Cyberpunk, except it has crashed a lot, like more than any game has ever crashed for me. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the state of the industry these days, man. It's like things are coming out happen. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off, Nick. I, I mean, but that's just a sign of distributed QA, working from home, dev kits in random places, right? Not being able to kind of consolidate all your bug crushing and reporting, bro. I, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I guess it, I guess it could be a COVID thing. My thought was that we're just getting more and more lax with it. Every company is more and more with like just – you know, because there's just so much pressure, and I, I understand it. And then it's just like it comes out, you know, and then there's just, oh, well, we can fix it later. And they do, and everybody does. And like No Man's Sky got a lot better, yeah. and all these games you get a lot better. It. And it's like if you stick with them, it's great. And I and I really love that fans do that. And I think it's the same thing with Days Gone. Like if you, if you were kind of like maybe a little bit annoyed by the load times or a little bit annoyed by something in Days Gone, uh, you should, you know, try it again because um, it plays a lot better on the PS5 format. It's- uh, although I do think it plays really good on PS4 what's, Pro. Yeah, like, it did. It, totally did. Yeah. What's what? Yeah, what I like uh, it. <laughs> I like I it. Bias, motherfucker. What what system you worked on it. for Days Gone? I'm sure you touched multiple systems, but curious. Uh, yeah, I worked a lot on the throwables, ah. um, and then I worked on a lot of like the sort of like metagame type stuff. Um, so yeah, like all the throwables, you know. Is trying to start from a place of realism and then you know tune it towards what we what the feel we wanted for our game, which is like sort of action survival. Mm-hmm. And so you know you, you like for instance, I'll give you one example. We uh, it's kind of more one of our more famous ones is we have like an airbag bomb. It, it's called a remote bomb though. You take an airbag from a car and then you attach a ra- uh, radio to it and then some other doodads, you know. And so we sort of had a crafting system that would allow for uh, you to be able to pick up sort of generic items but make something kind of specific with it. So that way you didn't have to specifically have X, Y, Z, except for one key component sometimes, like an airbag or like a growler bottle for like a napalm Molotov, you know? So like, but then the rest of it were all components that were used across a lot of different items. So it made it real like action survival, not like super survival-y, you know? And so that's what I try to do with um you know for for a zombie game like days gone and for all well, for they're, they're freakers but for like basically an apocalypse game with monsters um i tried to make stuff that was realistic at first and then we found man these hordes are just so tough so through a lot of people nudging me and everything i made it sort of like more boombastic and we did things like pressure waves coming off of the explosions and made it seem like these homemade items were actually like super duper deadly, like sort of almost like a fertilizer bomb or something, you know, like that you see in one of those movies where they level a building with it. I hate to talk about things like that. Hopefully that doesn't like make people cringe images of that kind of stuff. But I just mean like, you know, that sort of like uh, homemade feel, but very devastating. You know what I mean? Like uh, a good example is like Mythbusters. Yeah. Like when they call Mythbusters, when they go out to like Alameda and they go blow stuff up and it shakes the pressure wave, shakes the camera. And so we were trying to create some of that kind of stuff. And it all comes out really subtle when you mix it with this horrible apocalyptic world with hordes after you. Um, but I think it, it sort of fits and matches. And, 
And so a lot of uh, what I did there, I'm really proud of. And then a lot of the other stuff I did was more metagame, like basically doing like contextual loading mm. tips. So like if you, you know, blow yourself up with a mine, it will explain to you that, you know, the mine's deep or something before they blow up and that's your chance to roll out of the way. That's a made up one. But, you know, we had uh, almost 200 different things that you would, you know, contextually Behind do. the scenes, is that kind of running off some type of like in-depth event system kind of? tagging everything that's happening and, and checking those tags and be like, oh, this thing in this setup, therefore give him this tool tip kind of thing. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, I basically did it like, you know, kind of how I did other things that you saw me do. Yeah, that, that's what it's, like it's I, bringing back. Remember the fail target thing yep. or whatever, where it was like you could register people to be failed targets? Can I tell yeah. you that that was a mega system that you just blessed the whole mission design team with to be like, yo, by the way, every which way you could fail a mission, just passing the flag, bro. <laughs> I got it all enumbed yeah. out. And that was one of your, one of the things that kind of showed me that you were operating on a different level in deep in the Rockstar system, bro. <laughs> I felt really proud of that. It, it was really hard to work on. But nowadays you find more stuff like that and more designers coming out of all these colleges like Champlain College, Full Sail. They're all coming up with these crazy cool solutions like that in Unreal and different engines. So we had cool stuff like that for sure. Um, but this was sort of like that. This is sort of like that though. You just would register the thing to be related to a certain, without getting too detailed, but it's just related to a certain characteristic about uh, melee range, whatever, 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 falling, riding your bike. And then all those things could be contextualized and set up for any number of, you know, tips for those things and stuff like that. And then it had a memory. So, you know, it obviously remembers the ones that have been used from, from all the categories and it will go through them all until it exhausts everything. So like, you don't see the same tip twice, you know, that kind of stuff. It sounds like you came from like old school machinery register kind of stuff, man. Like if it was inspired from you poking around with those combi scope cameras yeah, or whatnot. There's something man. about that. Yeah, man. I take a really sometimes complex approach to things, but I found through my wisdom of, you know, we learn, like we worked at Rockstar, we learn, you burn and learn, you know, you mess up and you learn sort of like, all right, man, I'm going to fail early. Yep. You know, I'm going to make sure that this thing works just a little bit. And then, okay, then that works. Then I can layer this on and this on. And you can still do it complicated. You could still do it elegant at the same time. I remember people telling me at Rockstar, you didn't, you don't have elegant solutions. They're too complicated. And then I remember people telling me the opposite. So I feel like, you know, you can live in both worlds and, and sometimes one's called for and sometimes the other's called for, you know. There's a lot of different ways to get to solutions in what we do, right? And, and it's all a matter of perspective. At the end of the day, the shit loads, runs and does the job. And I, I, I love the way that you build stuff, right? Like you can say, hey, the guy brings a bazooka to kill a fly, but I think it scales dramatically well, right? Like the time invested scales across the game. Yeah, that's the trick. That's the trick is do you want it to scale or not? And you just have to know that. And like, that's something I never knew in the beginning. I just always wanted everything to be scalable and awesome. And now I learn more and more, you know, as I go that, you know, it's like, all right, well, this thing's throwaway. Yeah. This thing could be real dope. You know, and so something like the loading tips for the entire game, um, that was really cool, you know, uh, to get to work on that. And that's where, like, uh, my boss, you know, he, I think it's like, you know, people get to know me and they get to know, like, there's a couple other guys. There's a lot of people at Ben that are like me, actually. So it's kind of a fun place to be in that way. But then also it's like, oh, man, that dude did the photo system. This one guy, Roddy, and it's amazing. He went, like, so tricked out with it. And it's like that kind of thing, you know, it's like. It's like, oh, okay, well, my thing is the, the loading tips. And so that's my chance to like sure. do something a little complicated, a little crazy, try to do it different, try to do, you know, look at different games. Like we were looking at games like, uh, 
what's the one that um uh, the one where you're like an urban in combat all the time and it's got like great ui i just can't think of it it's not division yeah it's a division thank you <laughs> oh yeah, yeah great Look at John Diaz, uh, uh, an example of a game designer, really, because you could give somebody three lines, three uh, three words, and they can tell you the game. I'm like that with movies, yeah, though. You are like, a fucking you know, movie buff, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can do it with yeah. games too, though. But, no, but that's, shit, that's, man. That's, that's you got me looking up Wizards and Warriors, man. That that one took me by surprise. Yeah, that's a deep cut, Wizards and Warriors, and that's a good one, man. If you ever want to go back and play an emulated game, I would say Wizards and Warriors. Faxanadu and Battle of Olympus are three really good games. They're, they all have RPG elements, some more than others. But yeah, Faxanadu, Battle of Olympus, and Wizards of the second Warriors one? All. How do I spell that one? Ba- Faxanadu. F-A-X-A-N. Yep, Faxanadu. Boom, right there. Faxanadu. Yeah, that was like kind of like almost like a Wizards and Warriors meets Zelda or something. They kind of have both. It has a little bit of that warrior fighting stuff. Or it's almost like Zelda 2 a little bit, you know? like Or like uh, Simon's Quest, man, dude, also. Castlevania 2. Yeah. You know, that all those had like this really interesting sort of approach to it where they were trying to like mix genres, you know? They were trying to make it action and RPG. And I love that shit, man. I love... That's my favorite. That's why open world is so great. That's why we got into open world, I think, is because you can just do everything. A couple questions for you, you know, man, that come to mind. Like, for, for people that have been in those same shoes where they're like, yo, I have a way I, I want to approach something and I want to try. I'm scared to fail. People dependent on me, whatever. Um, I'm getting pressured to do things one way, but I really believe it should be done this way, whatever. How do you approach that that's like conflict resolution or negotiation or kind of team collaboration thing that, that comes up all the time in game development you're saying that people are not being confident that they'll succeed at the task at hand is that the yeah, idea i think that that's a part of it is like you're getting pushed back on the way you yeah. want to do something and you want the freedom to try right. but you know it's like oh you yeah. do it the fast way or do it the easy way or something like that right and, and, and collaborating right to give and take right like how do you approach it? yeah well I would say, you know, you could do it the way that a lot of us used to do it in the early days, and especially at Rockstar, where it was like you're doing two jobs, you know, you're doing like whatever you have to do quickly to get it done. And then like the stuff that you really want to work on, like your pet product to make it like the cool way, or maybe it's overcomplicated, but whatever, you just want to do it, right? So yeah, I mean, I think you do have to use your own time for that. And you have to use your time wisely, try to get like eight hour day that's just like optimized and figure out how that's going to be best optimized for you. And then you got to work with your manager, yeah, on that, or your boss, or whoever or the people you work with, because if they're expecting a different thing from you in eight hours, like which is often happens, right? It's like they're expecting, like uh, maybe maybe they don't know that you're putting out fires for four hours, and then you're you know getting to your work at like three o'clock, you know what I mean? And then you leave at seven, and they think, oh well, well he came in at ten or whatever, you know? It's like you just have to make sure that they know what the parameters are. You know what the parameters are for your, you know, your work and your success. And that goes for like the the immediate, like for the week and then for like the year and for your whole, you know, down the road. I, I feel like that's something I never really had in the early days was that relationship. Cause I was just working so hard. And also maybe the people that were my bosses weren't the greatest, you know, but I've had some better bosses and some cooler people that were like more treat you more like, family and stuff like that at Volition and at Bend and at Gorilla that sort of like taught me that like, you know, just 
being able to like level with the people next to you and say like, well, what is it that you expect of me? And then. No, no, no. I, I like that you touched on that. I want to, I want to take a moment and reflect on that because it, you're, that's a, that's a big thing for anybody coming in this game where it's like, you don't know what a good manager is until you've had a good manager. Um, and I, I ran into yeah, the same true. thing and I was like, holy cow, a manager that I can approach and tell them, yo, my workload, let's assess it help me set goals for me. like, yo, if you want to get to senior, you want to get to advanced or you want to move to another thing, how, how are we going to get there? Okay. Let's lay out a roadmap for you. Let's help you develop. Let's, let's do what keeps you excited. And I've definitely had the other end of the spectrum where it's just like, Hey, I need you to do this job by any means necessary. And if you don't do the job, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shit on you or whatever, but like having somebody that has your back <laughs> and, and plays kind of, Captain America with the shield for you, right? Whenever the heat is coming to be like, no, 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 we agreed that he's going to do this thing. And if we need a shift, right. we're going to communicate about that, right? Just that, that back and forth transparency. Yeah, you know that. And I think it just depends on the studio, depends on the place. And like some places, you know, I mean, whatever, we all know and we've worked at them and we won't, I won't name any names or anything, but you know, it, it's, it's, there's maybe a key person or a key set of people who are sort of like doing it the wrong way. And I think a lot of the time it was just like if you gave a 16-year-old a Ferrari, the game industry, it's just like, oh, here's millions of dollars to do whatever you want with. And like, you guys don't have any management training. You guys haven't been to crucial conversations. You guys don't know any of this stuff, you know, but let's just make you in charge, you know, and that's just sort of happened in some cases. I feel you like, like, let's yeah. not, let's not put the blame on certain people. I think it's a systemic thing where it's like, you know, the people, the people <laughs> you're going to put in charge of other people, get them the right tools and training. You have to be people who are good with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. Not not just like the most experienced yeah. guy or the, the the guy that's been there the longest, right? Like, we got a lot of that here. You know, we got a lot of that here, and, we, and there's a lot of that at Sony, and a lot of the people that are like that. And Volition had a bit of that, a good bit of that too, and uh, and and Gorilla as well. Um, well, Gorilla's a little bit different. Europe's a little bit different. That's yeah. a whole other story yeah, yeah, we can yeah. talk about. I think, I think the way the game industry is in Europe is really cool and interesting, and it, there's a lot of like key differences whether it's the way job titles are, the way pay is, the way projects are done. I think it's all interesting and cool. And then Japan, Japan has a Japan crazy system. Too, yeah. Montreal has a crazy system, yeah. right? Like it all kind of comes from Ubisoft. Oh, right. I don't even know about that. We're going to have to talk about that some other time. Yeah, I got, I got, we got to chop it up on Montreal. <laughs> we should do the different regions. Yeah, the different regions of game yep. development. That'd be interesting, yeah. Bro, I, I, I want to respect your time. I know we're our time. I just wanted to ask one, a couple more things. You're involved in something really cool at Full Sail, and I think it's super instrumental to like how we give back to Full Sail and better give them the tools to break into the industry and be able to get the, hit the ground running. And I think it's called, what, the Full Sail Program Advisory Committee? Yeah, that's the thing. And it's been going on for years, and a bunch of people that we've worked with have been into it. I think Bua has gone, like different people have gone at different times, Josh Hamrick, but I got into it like maybe like five years ago through talking to the current program director, but now they have a, a new one, but um, for, for the, for the game development and, and for the game uh, engineering or well, it's game development and game design, you know, and then they have masters now too. So there's a lot of programs and there's a lot of ways that you can sort of get in there and help. And I do sort of see like the similar same folks, and so it would be really cool if there's any full sale people out here listening to this, but you guys should get involved in like, I can definitely have them. And especially you, John, I can definitely have them uh, talk to you and see if you'd want to go to the next ones. And they're much easier now, uh, now that they're all online. So you can do them a lot easier. They don't have to fly you out and put you up and all that. So like, and I hope they keep doing that. So they might do like on campus eventually again, but I hope they keep doing these 
program advisors. They're doing them even more frequently. And basically what it is, is we get to look at like, you know, all the macro stuff for the school. So like the facilities everybody uses, the library, the different things. And when you're on campus, you can look at sort of like the VR, the MR, like all that, their little fabrication labs where they can make all their little, you know, things for Arduino and all that and all the wearable computing. You can look at all that stuff. And then you can also look at like all the courses and all the curriculums for the degree that you're helping out with, whether that's game development like we did, which is, you know, mostly engineering or game design where there's design or the masters where it's more like game production. And then they also have like um, a, um, like a user experience yeah, lab where they can test all the these things. And all so shit. there's a bunch of stuff. There's a kids program you can get involved in. There's a bunch of stuff you can get involved in at Full Sail. And it's really fun and it's really rewarding. And I've even done things with them. And I'm sure some of the other guys uh, from our class have done this where you're there and people who are coming to the school maybe are there and you can answer questions for them. And so you could do anything from just being like a body who's like telling your experience to like actually really getting into it and like getting into like, um, well, this specific class, like, so some of the stuff we've been doing in the design program is they have more focuses now because of some of the feedback that different people have given where they actually do like a level design class, a system design class, and it's, and it's technical design. Type class. No, there's ton. I mean, if you haven't seen it in a while, there it's completely different. Like one of the last relics that I, that, you know, there's programming one and two and in stuff like that and data structures. But one of the last relics core. of like, a, yeah, right. One of the last relics of a cool class though that they were that there's been up in the air and different people have lost it, but the game development people and the game design people still have it is. Uh, heroes, archetypes, and mythology. Yeah, and that's the one where you I know. love yeah. him, bro. Yeah, yeah. I think I got that course yeah, right. director award. So we fought to keep that. Bro, I think <laughs> I got that course director. I think that I think we had that class together, man. I love that fucking class. You're right. I'm yeah, so they're still there. Yeah, that's still was, there. Yeah, it's still there. A lot of it's things like have changed, and a lot of, and a lot of things are different. But they have a ton of cool stuff now. They do their capstone, which is like the final project, but they do it a little bit at a time as they go in different modules. And it's not saying that you're working on your final game the whole time, but you're working on different projects. So remember how we had like structure of game development? We made that two month game project. They kind of have that something was a like single that. man project, and they have right? Final project. No, that was a team oh, one. There was a single man one before that. It was structure of game programming. Was that was the one where we? Did oh, an SGP yeah. was one person, you know, and an SGD was your team. Right. And it was a two month right. class. Yeah, they kind of have. They kind of restructured it. Also, you're basically getting more of an advantage towards uh doing things for your portfolio that will be visible so it's pretty cool so you're doing like those like an scp sgd they're like making that so that goes into your portfolio along with your final project that kind of thing it's not scp and scd okay. but it's like a different class i forget what it's called they, they call them like uh capstone one I, capstone two capstone i'd like three. to get involved in that man i don't know who to reach out to but let's talk after this Oh yeah, I'll set you up with the right people. They love they love new people in there, and they love people who give feedback. And especially when you go to campus, they love it when people like will go to campus, you know, have all the fun of being on campus and for whatever event, and getting your food in your hotel, and then really filling out that form, you know, like really filling out all the questions they ask you about the courses that you have to basically comment, and they need comments for accreditation, you know. So it's like this helps them. It seems like you're validating you know, the program, like yeah. you're the direct feedback you give. Yeah does lead to changes in the curriculum that gives you better people coming into the industry. Yeah. Right. And then there's also sometimes, uh, you know, you'll get asked to vet a teacher or hey. a class curriculum. 
And so they'll send you like a docu sign and be like, okay, this teacher is going to teach this class system design, which is a new class that I just vetted. And it shows the curriculum and the syllabus for system design and the person who teaches it and their entire pedigree and their CV. And then you look through all that and you say, oh yeah, this looks like this will be a good okay. course. You know? But do you so sit it's like, in? It, it's really cool. Do you sit what? in like check out a class? No, that would be awesome. One thing that we wanted to do is like monitor, sit in, be like a fake yeah. student. But also, you need to have the time for that. I'm sure you could if you went down to full sale, and you know, or nowadays you could do it online. But you'd really have to like spend the time to do it. But that's dope. Yeah. So this is just like every few months you might get uh, a couple things you do for a few hours, and and that's all it is. But but the cooler part I think is that when you're like sort of connected in with all that, a lot of times they'll send me people to talk to too, and so you know, like I'm sure you've gotten this where somebody will reach out to you and be like, I have a person who's going to maybe go to college for this or they just got out of college for this that's what the show is for man it's, it's an extension of being able to kind of give back to veteran people that want to see how other people do things and learn from them as well as the next generation that's like hey we need more representation we need more people come all different backgrounds and i still have nieces nephews and family in new york that think that games are made by people from japan or in hollywood or something like that right so like, it's like nah, man. <laughs> That's what yeah, I, used to think, I used to think only Japanese people make games. Little did I know that like half of these Nintendo games I'm playing were made by like Nintendo in Seattle and stuff, right, you know, man. at least ported. Bro, like, so that's you know. what I'm here. I'm just here trying to spread yeah. awareness, creative avenue for people to hear what goes into making games and be like, yo, you can do it too. Here's the stories of how we got into it, but there's so many different avenues. Um, so to that, I want to close off. I want to, I want to hit you with the, the classic, what would Nick 2021 tell Nick 2009 uh, as words of wisdom coming in to the game industry? Oh, man. Just calm down, bro. I was in there back in 2007. Yeah, yeah I'd be like, I'll tell 2007, Nick. Just calm down. Calm down. Just That's what calm, I would yeah. calm down, but, you know, don't lose that fire, you know. You got to keep the fire going. I think, I think anybody that listens it. to this interview yeah. – will not mistake you for having lost the fire. Sure. Yeah, right. No, no <laughs> shit, man. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely am an excitable type. And I think uh, for a game designer, it takes different types. And I think that's the best part about it, man, is like, you know, there's, there's people like me and you who are pretty excitable. And then there's people who are just really methodical. And then there's people who are just really just amazing. And they amaze you every second with their craft. You know, and we're we're sort of like the jokers and the fun people, but I feel like we're mixing it up and we're getting something's happening when we're in the mix, you know. And I really like that. My, Who would you call out as kind of like oh, methodical designer DJ Jones? That's who you should interview, dude. Boom. DJ Jones. That's it, yeah, you uh, him. he's also a good programmer though too. Um, he's just good at everything. DJ is one of them people where. I feel like if you ever met him and you don't just think this guy's great at, at all the, you know, at least all the like game related stuff, not everything in the world. But if you just, if you don't, if you don't, if you meet DJ and you're not like this guy's great at all this game development stuff, then I, this is how I always thought in school. This is how I started at Rockstar. If you don't think that about DJ, then you're probably <laughs> you, you don't know shit. You know what no. I mean? Like, he, he, I think he's up at Crystal <laughs> right. Dynamics, man. I think he just put out that Avengers and I think he was on Tomb Raider yeah, before that. Yeah. No, I talk to him still sometimes. He did before that. He did uh, Shadow War. Oh, that's right. I was at. I think I was at E3 or GDC when he was like riding the dragon for that. And I was I was working at Warner Brothers, so we we could kind of hit each other up on the Slack or whatever. 
Um, I mean, I don't know what we use Skype or Link or some shit at the time, but that's dope, man. It brings back memories. All right, so I was going to tell you who you nominate to come on the show next, and you've already done it. So DJ Jones is going on the list. I'm going to hit him up for show. Dude, yeah. thank you so much, brother. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate yeah. your time, bro. I, I do this more for me than anything else, man, and this is gold. Oh, yeah. We got to do this again. We got to do an international game development episode, and then we have to do like a what's your favorite game idea that you want to make episode or maybe we don't want to do that one because we don't want to give that away keep that one in the pocket that's something i talk with about friends a lot is like just what's your, you know what's your dream game idea and so i don't want to give nothing away we'll, we'll save that we'll save it for the for the for the b-side yeah yep save it for the b-side nick brother take care stay safe goodbye and stay in school if they let you go there's a bit there that i know a few of us can relate to in this industry and that's using our own time outside of the workday to pay down tech debt or fix things that are not specifically part of the deliverables, but that bother you enough that you're compelled to fix them for the benefit of the project or just long-term maintenance. I encourage us all to be brave enough to bring this conversation to our managers whenever that happens so that it's not a question of allocating extra time from our personal lives. I know I'm not the only one who's gotten lost wandering the canals of Amsterdam, right? Shout out to Nick for his pointers on orienting yourself in the wonderful city. I've never been brave enough to jump on a bike and jump into that traffic. I'm looking forward to him putting me in touch with Full Sales Program Advisory Committee. I've definitely got some ideas on what I could use more of on my team. Every time I get to kick it with an old Red Dead homie, I'm reminded about the amount of love, detail, sweat, and work that went into polishing Red Dead Redemption to the jewel that racked up all the accolades back in 2010. Outlaws to the end, baby. The majority of us have gone on to take those lessons learned and spread it out to other open world games and more. It's awesome to see how different teams bring their magic or interpret that open world formula when you talk about games including the original Zelda. Horizon was a fantastic game, and I'm looking forward to Forbidden West as well as playing Days Gone once I get my hands on a PlayStation 5. I want to hear more from developers making open world games on Unreal. Hit me up. I love trading streaming stories and tricks. I'm so psyched he called out DJ Jones. I definitely look forward to bringing him on the show in the future. In episode 7 of Out of Play Area, debuting on Monday, April the 26th, we follow through with Benja's nomination from way back in episode two and welcome Jeff Junio, who's lead game designer for Jam City, working out of Carlsbad, California. Jeff's been in the industry since the 16-bit Sega Genesis days. We talk about the fine line between mobile game development and AAA console game development. And then we also touch on important aspects of what it takes to be an effective lead who listens to their team and empowers them to do their best work and more. Thank you for listening. If you found it enlightening and enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate your support in following the podcast, leaving a review, or telling a fellow developer about the show. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions for me or a guest, you can email them to john at outofplayarea.com or call in and leave a message at 760-981-0311. You can find both of those links at the top of our homepage at outofplayarea.com. 
If you're a game developer who's willing to share their story or knowledge, click on that Calendly button at the top of the site and let's link up. Please make sure you get approval from your studio PR or HR beforehand. Out of Play Area releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe and see what developer pushes Out of Play Area next time. I'm your host, John Diaz. Till next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. We out.